This podcast is intended for entertainment and opinion. Nothing discussed is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And welcome to Psychologically Minded. My name is Grace Fowler, and today's episode is another mini-sode all about the mean world syndrome. So the mean world syndrome is a cumulative cognitive bias where people perceive the world as more dangerous than it actually is because of our overexposure to violence in the media. And this includes all forms of media from things like movies, TV shows, local news. The theory is a little bit older, so I don't know if it explicitly includes things like video games and social media as well, uh, but I would imagine that that is, would be added by future researchers into considerations for this theory. The person who came up with the theory of mean world syndrome is George Gerbner, and he coined this term in the 1970s as part of his cumulative analysis project. So he was a media guy, not necessarily a psychology guy. He had like communications degrees, Um, but he created this project called the Cultural Indicators Project, where he tracked trends in television and trends in relation, uh, viewers' perceptions of the world, world events, things like that. And in the 1970s, at the time when he posited this theory, violent crime rates, violent crime rates were increasing and stayed relatively high for that decade and the next decade. It wasn't until the 1990s that we began to see a decrease in violent crime. Uh, and that's important to remember later on when we talk about how perception of violent crime has changed in those decades. Now, Gerbner himself was a Hungarian communications professor and researcher. Uh, He actually had quite an interesting history. He survived the Holocaust by fleeing to the U.S. at a time when, I think it was like 1939, he he fled here, uh, when his family was going to be directly impacted by the Holocaust because of their nationality and uh, religion, you know, that that little thing uh, that happened in Germany. Uh, so he has a history with violence and a lived experience of how a cultural perception is related to violence, right? Because if you think, if we think about Nazi Germany and the Holocaust, one as like a cultural phenomenon, right? Like people, the whole culture or the whole society kind of like bought on to these beliefs. I'm not saying every single person that lived in Nazi Germany believed in the Holocaust and exterminating people who were not, you know, able-bodied white people. But there was a almost cultural consensus and approval of these actions and this violence. And so I just think that's so interesting that Gerbner has this experience and then spent all of his life researching the way that cultural perceptions of violence are changed. And he he's coming from a pretty intense background um, to, to inspire this. I don't think he ever explicitly said that his upbringing ex- inspired his research, but I think that you can't <laughs> can't divorce the two, his experience and his research. I think they're they're pretty linked. So he anyway, he fled to the US in the 1930s, 1940s, and he ended up studying psychology and sociology at UCLA and then went on to do his graduate work in communications. As I said, he developed this cultural indica- indicators project, which I believe is still ongoing and is essentially a massive archive of like 30,000 TV shows, movies, news broadcasts, um, and the researchers who work on this project continuously comb through 
the media in their archive and measure it again and look for like codes and how often certain things are mentioned and then compare it to information they have about viewers' perceptions. And like I said, it's part of this like cultivation theory or this cultivation process that the mean world syndrome is developed. So Gerbner, Gerbner is essentially saying like, you don't just watch the local news one time and see a story about a break-in and become like radicalized. <laughs> it's a process. And by living in a context where all of the media coming at you has certain messages about violence, violent crime, and who engages in that, that context is what leads to the mean world syndrome. I actually have a clip of him in an interview explaining it with his colleague Michael Morgan from a documentary they created just before Gerbner passed away from cancer. Uh, so I'm going to play that here. If you look at it from a cultivation point of view, you see that the image of victimization, the image of risk, the image of danger, the conception that if there is so much violence in the world, I'm, I'm at risk. Not that I'm going to go down the street to be a mugger, but on the contrary, I'm afraid to go down the street at night. I'm afraid to go into the subways. I'm afraid uh, of strangers. I try to cross the street when I see somebody that I think may be dangerous to me. These are the, the consequences of exposure to violence that are cultivated in large communities over long periods of time. Obviously, Gerbner does a better job of explaining his theory than I will, uh, so I hope that that was helpful. So like I was mentioning before, in the 70s and 80s, there were these like pretty high crime rates, especially of violent crime in the U.S., and so viewers' perceptions of violence was pretty accurate like people were interpreting or assuming that there's a certain level of crime in the world around them and it was pretty close to like what the level of crime was however in the 1990s toward the end of the 1980s we start to see a pretty significant decrease in violent crime that has been continuing for the last three decades um we've had a tiny up uptick in the last year or two because of the pandemic um but that's a different <laughs> topic uh, but the, the thesis is that overall violent crime has significantly reduced from the 1980s. And in fact, all types of crime, including property crimes, have, have significantly reduced in frequency. However, the crux of the mean world syndrome is that although we have this, this data to show us that there isn't as much crime, when researched or interviewed, the population will perceive the world to be far more dangerous and have more violent crime. And so if you look at the, the graphs that come out of the research done by Gerbner's team, um, you'll see that like the crime graph starts to go down, like beep, 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 it's decreasing. Um, but then the, the line of what people report of how much crime they think is happening uh, has stayed at the almost nearly the same level as it was in the 70s and 80s. So we perceive that our crime rates are very different from what they really are, which, which is essentially a way of saying we see the world and the country that we live in to be very dangerous. The mean world syndrome is saying that this probably comes from our exposure to violence in movies, TV, and our local news. The context of violence on television becomes normalized and slotted in between commercials and silly programming. So if you think about when you're watching, like if you're flipping through the television, the television when am I 95 years old when you're flipping through channels on tv you know let's say you 
stop at forensic files right that's a great i'm on a hotel right now which is why this might sound weird but forensic files great television show for the t the hotel because you could just kind of put it on and hop in anytime so you stop on forensic files and you're like ooh, i'm just learning about like this pretty heinous crime that happened um, a commercial comes on for a used car lot and you flip the channel. Okay, now the next channel I see is um, maybe my local news. Maybe I went to go check the news and they have like five stories in a row about the newest trend of teens stealing toilets from the school bathroom or choking each other. Right? Do you guys remember that in like, I think it was the early 2000s, the choke game? Anyway. <laughs> That was like, like it was a, a phenomenon on the local news that like teens were choking each other out or like choking strangers out and it, it was not happening. It was just like, I think it had happened one time and then it got turned into this like national phenomenon. So that, that, that fits into Mean World Syndrome as well, right? Because a manufactured like panic <laughs> happened because of this like one little news story, right? So, okay, so you see this local news story and then they run three ads for a prescription drug and then you flip again and you're watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. You've now seen, and, and there's probably violence on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because the women are gonna like be slapping each other, right? So there's, you saw violence three times, but it was slotted in between ads for things you use every day and uh, maybe in the channel flipping, you also flipped by like some cartoons or a sitcom, right? And there wasn't explicitly violence in there. So the violence becomes part of the context of your like day-to-day -day life. And it becomes normalized because it's just next to things that are normal like ads or other shows that you would watch. So violence no longer becomes something that's abnormal or something that would surprise you. It is just in the milieu of how you go through the world and the context you interact with. I have a great clip from Carlos Maza, who used to work for Vox and now has a YouTube channel, who did a video about policing, where he talked briefly about the Mean World Syndrome. Um, but he made a great sketch about how bleak the programming can be and how it serves to contribute to this Mean World Syndrome. So I'm going to insert it here. After the debate, at 8, it's Law & Order Ball Busters, a show where the police are always good, the violence is always justified, and due process is always getting in the way. Did we mention the cops are hot? At 9, it's Bad Boys, the show that takes you into the high-stakes world of hunting humans for sport. No need to empathize with these lowlifes. All you need to know is that they're bad. And now, thanks to the cops, they're gone for good. But first, it's your favorite nightly news team, ready to bombard you with the most horrific crime stories you've ever heard, straight from the mouth of your local police department. Could you be in danger? Only one way to find out, on CON. If you can't sleep, you'll never stop watching. This video is mostly talking about policing, so that's why the stuff about law and order was included. Um, but I do think it is a great example of how even things like procedurals or long-running shows like Law & Order that we may love to have on in the background do have a lot of violence and messages about police in them that we are just kind of inundated with. Like, I would say probably 95% of you listening have been in a situation where Law & Order is just on because that's all there is and you need something in the background, right? And But what's in the background is essentially propaganda for the police and information or depictions of violence especially sexual violence right a lot of people tend to watch svu so it's like pretty pretty intense violence the research bears this out so a lot of studies especially those that obviously come out of gardner's lab and i guess now it's morgan's lab show that heavy 
TV viewers are more likely to hold beliefs like people cannot be trusted and people are just looking out for themselves than light viewers of TV. And that's one of the distinctions that came up a lot in the research that I was looking at for this episode is that it's not necessarily just that if you've watched TV at all (laughs) in your lifetime that you will be subjected to the mean world syndrome. It's that pretty heavy viewers of TV. So we're talking about people who are watching multiple hours of television every day, upwards of like four to six hours of television a day. And it's going to be very regular, like nearly daily, if not daily. Uh, Those types of viewers are more likely to hold these mean world syndrome beliefs. And if you think about the examples that I provided of like people cannot be trusted, that's not necessarily explicitly things like the world is a violent, scary place. But if I can't trust the people around me, um, then I'm not going to feel safe to be myself or to move through the world. And so those beliefs, those kind of start to build the foundation for how a worldview is created and how a person will behave. Um, Because as my CBT girlies know, beliefs impact behavior and vice versa. And the reason why heavy viewers of television are more likely to hold these kind of beliefs may be because um, they're more likely to use what they see on TV as a heuristic or a mental shortcut. I think I've talked about heuristic in past episodes, but uh, I'll just give another quick definition. It is, it is essentially a shortcut in the brain. It is a way for our brains to process information in the quickest way possible because our brains are all about conserving energy and getting information ASAP to the frontal cortex so that we can make important decisions. So a heuristic is like instead of me going from A to B to C to D, it goes A to D. It shortcuts um, a lot of the cognitive processes you might have to have. And if we're watching television for multiple hours a day every day, uh, the heuristics we, our brains are going to employ are going to be from television and and not always from our real world experience. And this is because it's easier for us to pull up from, uh, it's easier for our brain to pull up what we saw on the television if we've been steeped in the content because it's more readily available. So like our memories of things that have happened to us in real life are pretty complex. They're stored in... Well, we, we, still, we still don't really know how the brain works, but we know that memories are stored in several places in the brain and it works together to, to draw up memory. Um, and emotional memory, episodic memories, different types of memory are influenced by different structures in the brain. So if, we're, if our brain is trying to you know, make a decision, let's say we're going to the store and we see someone that we deem quote-unquote suspicious and our brain is trying to figure out like, is this person going to be a threat to us or is this person just like stealing some stuff to kind of get by the day and get get on their way and won't be a danger to us? If we're a light viewer of TV, our brain is going to use our past lived experiences as our heuristics. And so although they are still mental shortcuts, they're they're a little more complex because our memories are are pretty layered and our brain is then going to be trying to decide like where to draw from first if it's if we're not immediately going into like fight or flight where the amygdala takes over. If we're heavy TV viewers, our brain can just be like, oh my gosh, we watched an episode of Law & Order about this the other day. Uh, we got this. We got this, fam. This is just kind of at the top. It's not like a deeply embedded memory that has been connected into all of my life experiences and memories, like plugged into my network. So heavy viewers of TV are probably going to be like, uh-oh, this person is a danger to me because they're acting suspicious. Everyone who does a crime is violent because that's what I see on TV and that's what my brain has available. 
and they may view that situation as far more dangerous than someone who is a light viewer of television. What this means is that TV watching actually strengthens existing beliefs more so than creating beliefs out of nowhere, right? Our brain, because it's using that heuristic, is pulling the TV to support a judgment that we're making in the moment. It may be that the people who watch a lot of TV already were going to be predisposed to believe that the world is a dangerous place and people are not to be trusted, and then that person who's shoplifting is a danger to them, right? They may have already been predisposed to believe that. But the television watching that they've done is going to strengthen, turn up the dial on that belief by having more and more evidence that's readily available to the brain uh, to support that idea of how the situation is going to go down. It's not that like watching TV makes you all of a sudden out of nowhere become very afraid of the world. The reality is, is that we are, because we are survival creatures, right, all all brains are geared towards survival, we have those kind of underlying things. Most of us are going to have those underlying things. I always avoid saying like everyone or no one. So most of us are going to have kind of baseline beliefs about the world that are, we're, we're wary. Let's, let's say we're wary. We're not afraid, but we're wary of new situations, new information. But the heavy TV watchers are going to be more likely to jump from I should be wary of this situation to I should be afraid of this situation. This has real world consequences because the more afraid we feel of violence, the more likely we are to support conservative or authoritarian approaches to criminal justice. So this may be one of the reasons why the U.S. has the absolute worst criminal justice system of any of the developed countries and of many developing countries as well. We have the highest number of people who are incarcerated and we have some of the strict of uh, developed countries, and we have some of the strictest policies, particularly toward substance use or crimes related to substance use, which is unfortunate because we know that incarceration does not treat substance use disorders and is not uh, the best practice for dealing with someone who is struggling with addiction. But that is another episode. <laughs> um, I also want to be very clear that this cognitive bias of the mean world syndrome does not mean that watching violence on television begets more violence by the viewer, but it, it just alters the perception of the safety world, the safety of the world. I'm not saying that video games and TV make people do violence, right? So when we hear about these like mass violence situations or we hear about, well, it's usually with the mass shootings, right? People, people start to pull out the argument of like, it's because you know, so-and-so played Call of Duty or so-and-so watched these, like, horror movies. And, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, it was because so-and-so listened to rap music that they were violent. That's not true. And the research actually bears out that those who are experiencing mean world syndrome and have this, like, heavy television viewing are not more likely to engage in violence, but are actually more likely to engage in behaviors that protect them from violence. So... This includes things like making sure you lock your front door, carrying weapons, or supporting tough-on-crime politicians. So watching violent TV does not make us violent, but it may make us act in a way to protect ourselves from perceived violence. I have to, This isn't in the research. This is my own opinion, but I, I have to imagine that the increase in true crime podcasts that are sponsored by companies that are security companies like that install security cameras and whatnot um that that is a way to take advantage of the mean world syndrome 
whether it's conscious or not, but marketing people often have psychology backgrounds, so it could be. <laughs> um, but if you listen to like true crime podcasts or even news podcasts, right? Like the daily, uh, not to shout out other podcasts on my podcast, but if you're listening to this type of content that focuses on violence, like particularly true crime, and then within the context of these violent stories, you're getting sold companies and products that serve to quote unquote protect you from violence, there's something there, right? We know that the mean world syndrome makes you more likely to engage in behaviors to protect yourself. And so I think it could be possible that these companies are then able to slide into a demographic that's going to be more likely to purchase or want to be around protective behaviors. Because let's be honest, the people that listen to true crime podcasts are also watching forensic files and watching the local news. Like, we don't do all of these things in a vacuum. I mean, and even if you only listen to true crime podcasts and you don't consume any other media, I would imagine it's the same effect, maybe less because there's no visual component. But if you're steeped in a in a type of content that says the world is a dangerous place, it's, it's going to impact you. And I can feel myself, even myself, as I do this episode, being like, that, I'm different. Like, <laughs> I'm not impacted by this stuff. And I totally get it if that is your reaction to this, because when we're an individual person learning about a bias or something that impacts us as a group, it can be hard to figure out, like, how does this impact me or feel like it doesn't, right? That you're different from the group. And that's totally understandable. And I like totally get that reaction and have it myself as I do this episode. But I think that this is a good reminder to consider the type of content that you are steeped in every day. And often we don't have great choices, right? Like the most popular podcasts are going to be like true crime or run by like the worst men on the world. Uh, not naming names, but like you're you're not going to be around. You may not have the option for like the best content in the world. And so it may mean like to combat this, it may mean we need to like step away from certain types of content um, because we don't want to just add more content in because the more content could be violent or could serve to further this like normalization of placing the violent content we already have in a more normalized context. So The last thing that is important to know about the mean world syndrome is that the way that television mainstreams certain points and mainstreams means that the differences between groups on an opinion become much smaller when both groups heavily watch TV. So, for example, if we're looking at college educated people versus not college educated people and their opinions on something, If people in either group are heavy TV watchers, their opinions will be closer to each other, even though they're from different groups. Same for like, say, liberals or conservatives. If you're a heavy TV watching liberal person, you are probably going to have more centrist ideas that are close, more close to a conservative who watches heavy television than obviously a conservative who doesn't watch heavy television. That's what we mean by mainstreaming. It means it becomes like accepted by people even when they're in different groups that would not have accepted that idea previous to watching television. I have this quote from a study from um, Michael Morgan, who was the person who interviewed Gerbner in the clip I played earlier. I'm just going to read the quote because I think it's really interesting. So Morgan and his team writes, although as we noted above, heavy viewers tend to call themselves moderate, 
Looking at the actual positions people take on political issues shows that the mainstream is not the middle of the road. When we analyze attitudes on racial segregation, homosexuality, abortion, minority rights, and other issues that traditionally divide liberals and conservatives, we found such divisions mostly among those who watch little television. Among heavy viewers, liberals and conservatives are much closer to each other. We have also noted that while mainstreaming bends toward the right on political issues, it leans toward a populist stance on economic issues, with heavy viewers demanding more social services but lower taxes, reflecting the influence of a marketing orientation and setting up potential conflicts of demands and expectations. Okay, so all, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what that means is that we're watching a lot of television, regardless of what our political affiliation is. Now, they only looked at liberals and conservatives. So this doesn't necessarily mean that they're including like more left-wing people or more far-right-wing people. But if we're looking at like the quote-unquote mainstream parties, which is Democrats and, and Republicans in the U.S., if people from either party are watching a ton of TV, it doesn't matter what their political orientation is, their beliefs start to drift toward the mainstream, which is right-centered in this country. I, I don't disagree with me. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want emails about this. It's to the right in this country. Okay, so things like like it's a right. Like I'm going to talk about abortion again because uh, I always will. <laughs> it gets me fired up. It is a right wing position to outlaw any form of abortion. Okay, because abortion is healthcare. Again, once again, abortion is healthcare. So if, if you find yourself being like, oh well, I don't think it should be allowed in every case because. Uh, some people be out here using abortion as health as birth control. Wrong. You're wrong. That's a right-leaning position. Sorry, not sorry. That is harmful to people. And right-wing positions are positions that believe in a natural law and a maintained enforced hierarchy. And so by believing that there are certain people who aren't allowed to have abortion, you're reinforcing a hierarchy. That's a right-wing position. Sorry, I don't make the rules. That's <laughs> just the definition. If that is the mainstream position that, which I think if we look across surveys, we'll see that for the most part, people will say, I think that abortion should be legal except for X, Y, and Z, or should only be illegal, should only be legal in X, Y, and Z cases, right? Like in rape or incest. That is a right-wing position. It's not far right. It's not like QAnon. That's a right-wing position, and that's become the mainstream position. So if you are a democratic person who believes yourself to be to the left or to be more progressive, and you're watching 18 hours of television every few days, it's unfortunate that I have to tell you this, but your views are going to become more to the center, to the right. They're going to become more of this mainstream beliefs. Like, we can go into the Overton window. We can, we can go into all this. This is not a political theory podcast. Um, but the psychology of it is that our worldviews are being influenced by television. And the content that we are seeing if we're heavily exposed to it, is actually changing the way that we see the world, which changes the way that we make decisions. Now, again, it does not make us violent. I'm not saying that if you watch Forensic Files, you're going to go do a crime. I'm just saying that it may make you more afraid of the world. And you, if you're more afraid of the world, you act in a different way than if you're not afraid of the world. And it's not just in ways where you change the locks on your door and maybe purchase a gun, which I'm not making any recommendations about that, but it's going to change the way in which you perceive the people around you. So you're going to be more afraid of your neighbors or people you pass by on the street because you're living in this cognitive bias of the world is a scary place and people are really, really violent. But the reality is, is that 
we're in a much, and at least in the U.S., we are in a much safer time than we've had for a majority of the time that this country has been alive, right? This is the most peaceful time we've had in this country in regards to crime. Now, I would argue, and again, this is my own opinion, I would argue that as economic situations continue to be desperate, as climate change continues to ramp up and displace people, you know, as our government continues to fail us by not doing what they promised to do, people are going to turn to TV and things like that for comfort. Um, and the mean world syndrome is going to get more intense and the likelihood of crime increasing, maybe not to 70s level, but of increasing like it has in the past few years, uh, is just going to make this a harder bias to counteract and is going to cause people to maybe double down on some of this stuff. So I just want to note that I think this there's a unique political and economic situation that we live in right now that could make this worse. Um, and so maybe this is a good time to not watch true crime or listen to true crime. Maybe this is a good time to limit the exposure you have to certain types of content um, so that it doesn't continue to consume the way that you see the world. And I, I'm saying this to myself. Like, I'm, I'm saying, Grace, maybe it's time we pull back on the true crime. And I'll be honest, uh, I have unsubscribed from quite a few true crime podcasts in the last few months. There's just something about it that although I enjoy listening to the stories and learning, I mean, from like a psychology perspective, right? It's like like learning how people or why people do what they do is interesting. It's a lot. It can be almost sickening, like what happens on true crime podcasts. And I'm not just saying like, the stories of the crime, but I'm saying like the way that you start to hear people talk about like things like the death penalty or start to talk about the criminal justice system, you realize that because they've been steeped in these stories of like truly horrible crimes that are more one-offs and, you know, I mean, I understand serial killers kill many people, but they're rare cases, right? We don't have serial killers running around every day. Received in these rare cases makes them normal, makes it seem like this is happening everywhere you go. And I don't have to name any names of podcasts. You probably know them, but they start to get catchphrases like lock your doors or stay away from certain places, right? They build in this like protective behaviors into the worldview of the podcast. This is <laughs> maybe this episode was me search and it's me telling me that Kermit meme, me to me, time to stop listening to as much true crime and maybe start to pull back on what I what kind of content I am enjoying and, and consuming on the day-to-day. -day. Let's be honest, I'm not going to stop watching TV <laughs> every day. Like, I love TV. I'm not going to stop watching TV. But I could alter the type of TV that I'm watching to help my little brain out. So that's all that to say is just this cognitive bias is a friendly reminder to be careful about how much and which media we consume Although it may not change our behavior, such as it does not make us more violent, it does have a marked impact on our attitudes and beliefs, which impact the choices we make about how we move through the world and interact with other people. So as always, thank you for listening through to the whole episode. It's once again a mini episode that's almost as long as a full episode, um, but I thought this was a really good one and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. To see the sources and resources mentioned in the episode, visit psychologicallymindedpod.com or click the link in the show notes. 
to contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming episodes, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and see you in the next episode. Thank you.